that'll lead us into the message. What God wants for Christmas. How did I come up with this idea? Well, uh, for years, the Jackson family gather around the, the book called What God Wants for Christmas, and it comes with seven little boxes. And when we've got little kids in the house, you know, that's a fun thing. The kids uh, get to open each box one at a time, and it reveals what does God want. And uh, it goes through the Christmas story. And in the seventh box, it's finally revealed what God wants for Christmas. But no peeking. It's a surprise. You're going to have to wait. We'll reveal it on Christmas Eve because that's the story that the family's going to tell from that couch and it'll be acted out over here into the manger scene. So I'm excited about this. We loved it. I don't know. My little Josh, can you imagine my little, you know, six foot four, six foot five son as a little kid and he's excited and opening up those little boxes. Uh, so it's been a tradition. And I started asking people here and nobody had ever heard of it. Has he, anybody here ever heard of what God wants for Christmas? The, Okay, so it doesn't exist. I came up with it on my own. It's my idea. No, I, I didn't. I, I, I shouldn't have even told you that old thing because you would have thought I was brilliant. Uh, but anyways, we're going to use that for our theme. I was talking with the elders on Tuesday night about uh, how I could preach this series because we want to focus on what God wants, not what we want. We, we typically at Christmas either do the Advent candles where it's, it's, it's love and hope and peace and joy, uh, and we usually walk through things that we receive because we have God in our lives, and that's a great thing. There are many blessings from being God's children, amen? But we always talk about what we get uh, because of Christmas. This year, I just want to flip the table on itself and say, let's focus on what God wants for Christmas. What, what would he desire? And obviously, you know, what do you get somebody who has everything? I mean, it's, it's not like we got to go shopping. I'm, I'm not expecting you to go home and get on Amazon and find something to send to heaven. It, it's deeper than that. Scripture actually tells us and gives us a clue of what God does want, not just at Christmas, but every day of the year. Have you been paying attention, both to God and to your family? Little service reminder, Christmas is coming. Men, have you been paying attention? There's probably been hints, maybe some clues. We miss them. Duh. I love it. As a guy, I absolutely love it. My kids send me a Amazon wish list text, and all I do is I'm like, oh, click, buy. I mean, I, I love that, but, but you know, you all, are, you all understand that that's, that's totally guy that's totally not paying attention, because all year round, people drop hints, even if they don't mean to be dropping hints, they drop hints about something they need or something they really want. So if we're paying attention and we know somebody that we love, we probably should know by now what they want. And let me give you the biggest tip, guys, men. I'm, I'm just going to speak to you. Once again, it's not that I don't like women. I just have never been one, so I don't understand you all. But guys, I do get. And guys, let me just tell you, in very rare cases, is it a good idea to buy a vacuum cleaner for your wife? <laughs> I mean, buy it for her. Any other time, but not at a holiday or a birthday. Now, some of you are like, dude, you just blew it. That's what I got. Well, I hope you bought the fancy iRobot thing that does everything. And it bought a vacuum. It ought to mop. It ought to cook meals. You know, make sure it's really, really good. Or make sure it's something that she wants. Because the worst thing is to buy something for somebody that says, do work. So you don't want that to be the gift. So what do we give God for Christmas? 
And I was sharing with the elders what Micah 6, 6 through 8 says. And they're like, you ought to just slow it down and just preach that for all the messages. So we're, we're going to stay in Micah chapter 6. You can turn there and meet me there in just a moment. Micah chapter 6. And let's discover what God really wants. Let's pray together. I'd ask you to pray this prayer. You don't have to say anything out loud, but I'd ask you just to say this silently in your heart. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer quietly to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you would be glorified, that everyone hearing this message today would be edified, that Satan would be horrified. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I think the best place to start in this series would be what God doesn't want. And I can pretty emphatically tell you what God doesn't want for Christmas is your religious stuff, your religiosity. I think most people think that, ah, you know, when it comes to God, I'd better... I'd better uh, give an offering, or I'd better give up something, or, uh, you know, the deals we make when something bad happens. God, I'll do this if you'll do that. God is not interested in your religiosity. That does not speak to his heart, promising that you'll come to church every Sunday and never miss, promising that you'll, you'll do this thing or that thing, or give up this thing or that thing. I, I know that in Scripture, God clearly says that that's not what excites him or or speaks to his heart. And it's interesting that this passage, we're going to read Micah 6, just 6 through 7 about religious stuff, so I can make it clear to you, God's not looking for those religiosity acts on our part. Let's go ahead and look at it real quick. Micah 6, 6 through 7. The author actually says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? That's a great question. What do I show up with, to God with? What do, I, what do I have to give? And then the answer becomes very clear. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Do you see where the author is going there? It's rhetorical. He's answering it by saying that's not what God wants. God doesn't want your religious stuff. So who is Micah? Micah was a prophet specifically over the southern kingdom of Israel. And it was during the time of rules, rules, Rules. I am so thankful I didn't grow up in the Old Testament time. I'm so thankful I didn't grow up under law. I'm a rebel. I just have always been a rebel. And rules, for me, rules are like a checklist of things to do, right? And that's a bad thing to do. But rules, 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 rules. I would say that the people of that time, when Micah's writing this, they're expecting there to be some Rules and religious steps, some hoops to jump through. With what shall I come before God? And notice how Micah talks to them about things that they would understand. Should I come with burnt offerings? The sacrifices were part of the Mosaic system. They're under law, they're under the Mosaic covenant, and they are to do certain things. 
And so that's a very legitimate question. Shouldn't I do religious stuff? Won't that make God happy? God set it up that way. But now we know, we have the benefit of the whole Bible, we can look back and realize that the Old Testament was there, the law was there, only to reveal the impossibility of pleasing God with our sacrifices. The whole Old Testament law was a picture of that perfect sacrifice needed to be made. It points toward Jesus coming, but it, it was imperfect. The law was never going to save anyone. Had a teen ask me last week, I love our teens. I love meeting with our teens on Sunday nights and talking to them. One of them came to me and said, how did the people in the Old Testament get saved? I said, well, Jesus hadn't come and died for sins yet. So the Bible, and, and I saw her, Julie, I've been watching her and, and I'd never talked to her yet. She was sitting up in the bleachers in college and I'm like, I'm gonna do it. Lowell, you'll be proud of me. It was a, it's the biggest, proudest moment of my life. I did it, man. I walked up. The, the stairs went right down her row. She's sitting with all her friends and they're like, he's coming, he's coming here, he's coming, shh, okay. And I walked up and I'm like, hi, Julie, I'm Don. You don't know me, but my friend's really ugly and he's got a date tonight and she won't go unless it's a double date and so I need you to go so he can go and we can all go. Will you go? And she's like, let's go. Yeah, she did. And we went bowling. That was our first date. We went bowling. And I remember she beat me. She did, she beat me. She bowled the best game of her life. And as a competitive person, that didn't sit well with me. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, my ego's crushed here. I said, you owe me your firstborn, not knowing that I would get that. (laughs) I remember that. She paid up. Then we went to Wendy's and we had Frosties and fries. Are you taking notes, young man? This is how you win them, okay? Frosties and fries. And you dip the Frosties on the fries. There's nothing more grandiose than saying, I'll give you my first porn. Isn't that amazing? Micah as a prophet was foreshadowing. That is what's required, but it's not your firstborn. It's his. God sent his only son for our sinfulness so that we could have righteousness. God did that. You can't do that. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can bring for your salvation. That's why it's such a beautiful gift that God sent his son, born of a virgin, born as a baby. He grew and lived for 33 and a half years and he never sinned. And when he went to the cross, the sinless one became sin for us. So what, what's the answer, Pastor Don? I mean, it, it's, it's, there's nothing in here so far that tells us. Well, then verse eight is beautiful. Verse eight gives us the answer. All right, let me backtrack because I didn't give you these points. And if you're taking notes, you really like filling in the blanks. Sacrifices? Eh, That's not going to cut it. What God doesn't want. Outward shows of religiosity? Eh, That that does nothing. How about temporary devotion? Don't we do that? Aren't we all guilty of that? God, I promise. God, I promise. I mean, it, it, it's time, it's Advent time. Have you started some kind of an Advent devotional? Julie and I started, we're, we're so far, we're 100%. Each evening we've read one chapter in, in what is it, R.C. Ryle or J.C. Ryle? I don't remember his name is. Uh, but we're doing a, a little reading each night. I'm hoping we can keep up with that and not get too busy or forget, right? But we always make promises. I'll do this, Lord, I'll do this. 
but they're temporary, right? We forget. None of this stuff, none of these religious things is what God wants. What does he want? Well, he answers us in verse eight. Let me read that. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Ding, 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 there's your answer. It's not religiosity. God really does, what speaks to his heart is actions. How do his children walk in this world? That's what matters to God. And we're gonna take one at a time. It's act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Today we're gonna do, do justice. Everybody say justice. God wants us to do justice. What does that mean? We'll have to unpack it a little bit today. I, I, you might have heard the buzzword, uh, social justice. Some churches have all gone in on social justice issues, and, and uh, they're just focused on making this world a better place for everybody. Not a bad thing. I'm not against that. But I believe as a church, God's called us to more than just that. I think we ought to care about social injustice. We ought to speak up and show up when it's time to do that. But it's more than that. I've given many hours of thought of how to talk about this carefully. We all have different ways of responding. And some of you as believers are more prone to protesting or um, rallying, you know, for a political point of view and, and, and really tuned into, I'm going to change the world to have a God mindset. I, I don't want to down that. I, I really don't. If you're wired that way and you show up at the Capitol steps and you might make your voice be heard and you want to make sure you're voting in a certain way for God bless you. I'm just not wired that way. I'm not wired to protest. I don't think that this verse actually means just protest and despise the world that we live in. I don't think it's my number one cause to try to change this world. I hope that I can make a difference in this world, but my difference is going to be done on a spiritual realm, not a social realm. My hope is that if people get to know Jesus, he'll change them and they'll be different. And the more people we bring to Jesus, the better we have a chance of changing society. But please, please don't get angry at me. I know. I mean, some of you have come to my office. Pastor, why don't you get up and talk about the election? Why don't you tell us to vote for this one person? Because it's the only way, it's the only way, it's the only way. It's the only way. And I'm like, yeah, it's not the only way for me. For me, I, I'm not excited about what's coming this November. I don't see a, a great path at all to change anything. And I want to remind all of you that more than half of our world, more than half of America, do not love God and believe in God. I think so many people just don't understand what's happened in our culture, and you think that the majority of us love Jesus. How come we can't just do away with abortion? How come we can't just do away with bad things? How come we can't? I think you need to understand that we're not the majority. Doesn't mean you shouldn't care. Doesn't mean you shouldn't work. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try. But I have a different focus. And I think that this passage tells us that we need to do justice, not force justice. 
We're going to do a series right after the first of the year in the book of Daniel. And you're going to hear about some young men who were taken captive and then taken to a foreign country. Hananiah, Ezra, Mishael, and Daniel. You know them as Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their real names were Daniel, Hananiah, Ezra, Mishael. They were forced to live in Babylon under a terrible, terrible godless rule. And what did God do? Because of the way they lived personally, they rose to the top became leaders. I believe the best thing we can do in our culture is to do, personally do justice. I know that might not change everything, but it has an impact when each believer does justice. So what what does it mean? It's personal. It's you doing what is morally right in every circumstance. A quick study of the word in the Old Testament, because we're in the Old Testament in Micah, the word justice is mishfet, mishfet. And it's a, a legal thing. It's what happens in the courtroom when justice is declared. And I believe that's what we should be, the quality of being just. Each believer needs to be acting justly. Doing rightly. Morally, we should all individually be doing what is right. Now, I know there's bigger concerns, and it's easy for us to point at other people who aren't doing things right. It's always easier to lead a rebellion than it is to make real change. So what am I saying? I'm saying that God in Scripture, it didn't say, get society to change. He says, you, what do I want from you? What do we require from you? You personally do what's right. You do what's right. It's the quality of being just. To be just is a call to action. This is not just theory. It's action. Justice means living morally right and pursuing what is right for all people regardless of who they are. I believe that's what God wants for us, from us. He wants it from us at Christmas. He wants us beyond that. Why would I say that? Let me give you some verses. I have them here. Uh, it's right from Scripture. I just can't read the small print. So I'm going to read them here. Remember what I said earlier about hints are dropped? All, all throughout the Old Testament, God was dropping hints of what he wanted for Christmas, just like your wife does, just like your children do all year round. They, what does God want? Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and walk in all his ways, to love him. Deuteronomy 10, verse 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God cares about the fatherless and the widower and the widow. The traveling person, the foreigner, I guess we would call that, traveling. Back in the day, they didn't have you know, chains of, of hotels and restaurants. And when you traveled, you hopefully knew somebody where you're going and they would take you in. Sometimes there were little inns, but we heard from the Jesus story that sometimes those inns are full. You better know what you're doing if you're gonna get on the road because you might not have a place. We need to be the kind of people that take people in. That's doing justly. First Samuel 12, 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he's done for you. We learn from our study in Ephesians that God has done great things. We respond by also doing what he wants. 
It's our response of love. It doesn't get us saved. It comes after you're saved. You don't earn salvation, but if you are saved, we should be living that way. In Hosea 12, 6, so you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. I believe God wants us individually to do what's right in every circumstance to all people, and that's how we do justice. There can be injustice all around you, but we need to do what's right. I want to turn, and I forgot to print this, so I'm going to have to use the Bible here. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. If you want to turn there and follow along with me, it might help. It's a little long, but I want to read it. It was in Julie and I's Advent reading last night, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. God has a heart for the weak and vulnerable. So what we do in response to that, that is what doing justice means. Nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. God cares about the hurting and the oppressed. We can do justice by the way we choose to respond, action. That passage goes on to say, and then he'll look at uh, the the ones on his left, and they'll say the same thing. When did we see you naked and and hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When were you in prison? When were you sick? And and God says to them, you did not do this for anybody. And that that means you, you didn't do anything for me. God cares about these situations and these people. We ought to. It ought to be our heart. The sign of the saved is the love for the least. Let me say it again. The sign of the saved is their love for the least. That's doing justice. That's what God wants this Christmas and all year round. He wants us to act justly. There's more teaching in the Old Testament in Micah 6.11, just a few verses down from verse 8. It says, shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? What is he talking about here? In the Old Testament times, people that sold things, you you did it by weight. You did it by measure. And if you're going to sell somebody a bushel of something, God says, make sure it's a bushel. Don't rip people off. Have you ever bought something in the store and got it home and realized that the packaging's unique? You know, you get a bottle of something, and and at the bottom, it goes way up in the bottle. And so there's less liquid than you imagine, right? I I mean, like, that's not... Have you ever bought one of those big boxes from the store of the bags of chips? And so you don't get to touch them until they're in the box, right? You bring them home, and there's like two chips in each bag. You get this bag full of air, and you're like, hey, and you rip it open, and you're like, what? I need five bags to do... I mean, yeah, so there's 40 bags, but there's only... Do the math. What is that? 80 potato chips in the whole thing. I mean, come on, they're ripping us off. 
Come on, am I the only one here? You ever experienced anything like that, right? Have you ever wondered when you're pumping gas and it's so expensive, is it really pumping off? Do I know I'm getting gallons here? Have you seen people like trying to cheat and hold the thing up and get more? It doesn't work that way, people. It doesn't. But we wonder, are we getting ripped off? Why? Because man has a propensity to cheat people. And what God says in Micah is that's wrong. Be honest. Friends, I'm going to tell you, this isn't rocket science I'm preaching to you today. This is normal, easy stuff. What does God want? Do justice. You personally, you might have bigger concerns globally. You might have national concerns. You might have governmental concerns in our community. All well and fine. Do your part. Play your role. But why don't you start at home and just do what's fair? Treat people fairly and rightly. Don't cheat. Don't cheat anybody, Christian. We're to be different. And then in Exodus 23, 6, don't deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. The oppressed, the people that don't have, we we shouldn't marginalize them and not take care and care for their concerns. What can you do personally to make a difference there? Deuteronomy 24, 17, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. I know this is old school stuff, like what's going on here? Well, sometimes when somebody owed you something, it's kind of like equity, right? You know, a couple of weddings ago, I remember I went in and and they uh, were trying to figure out how to get a loan for this wedding. And uh, the person's like, is that your truck out there? I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll take a loan out on that truck. I'm like, okay. So my truck was collateral, right? I, I put that in there and I said, okay, you give me this amount of money, I'll pay it back to you. Until then, you got the title from a truck until I pay that off. Back in biblical times, sometimes the only thing people had was their outer garment. And they, by the way, a lot of times if they didn't have a place to live, that was their sleeping bag too or their pillow for their head. It, it was everything to them. And the Bible says if a widow comes, she's got nothing. But the only thing she can give you is her outer garment. Don't take it from her. Give her the loan or do whatever you need to do. Don't take the collateral. Just do justice. She needs help, care for the widow. First Samuel 8 and 3. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. This is wrong. God looks at somebody who takes bribes and perverts justice and says, no, that's not who I... At the heart of God is justice, rightness righteousness, and he wants his people to act just too. Isaiah 117, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Do you hear it over and over again? What does God want? He wants his people to do what's right. Do what's right, even when nobody's looking. Martin Luther said, True peace is not merely the absence of tension. It's the presence of justice. Presence of justice. We're called to be just. And when believers show up, we ought to be doing what's right morally for everybody around us. That pleases our God. So what does God want for Christmas? God wants me to do justice towards all. Sounds like a pledge of allegiance, right? Right? Justice for all. Sad. 
It's not happening a lot. (laughs) Justice for all. We still live in a world where there's racism. It's wrong. As believers, we shouldn't have an ounce or a thread of racism in us. All people are from God. Imago Deo, in the image of God created, whether black or white or any other race. I, I sit and think sometimes, if I'd been a pastor in the 50s, would I have gotten out there and marched? Would I have been there? Many pastors and churches stayed silent. And in the South, many churches used the Bible to promote slavery. Justice. God cares for all people. Therefore, we must be just toward all people. Abortion. I taught through that when we did the elephant in the room. That's a social issue that Christians obviously are concerned about, and we should be. But if you're only, if you're, you're only addressing the topic against people who disagree with you and just fight with them, and then um, once a year vote on something in front of you, is that really doing justice? I want to tell you as a church, in January, we're going to do something. Uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is January 21st, and somebody in our church has come to me as a personal connection to the pregnancy center and wants us to do something tangible to help. You know, that's how we can do just. You can have your points of view. I'm not telling you not to have your point of view. And if you need to march somewhere, that, that, that's your choice. If you want to change our society, just remember, more than half the people don't agree with you that there's even a God. It's hard to convince them about moral things. But we can do something, and that's what God wants. He wants tangible action. So we're going to fill bottles for babies. That's what we're going to do in January. We're going to have a bunch of baby bottles, and we're going to put our loose change in there. That's doing something. That's doing something. God wants me to do justice towards all. I must act morally right to everyone. Friend or foe, rich or poor, whatever culture, whatever color, do justice It's actively living out your faith. I'm going to have the team come up and join me. Went a little long this morning. Sorry about that. Had to kick off the series. Next week, we'll talk about loving mercy. And then the week after that, we'll talk about um, walking humbly with our God. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll put it all together and we'll reveal what's in box seven. No peeking. It's a surprise. What God wants for Christmas. 